I hope the audience doesn't mind because I've been a little heavy on Joe Biden lately, but I got I have no choice because honestly, <laughs> honestly, and I'm sorry to people who think I'm a little crude. This is Hillary Clinton with a penis. This is Hillary Clinton with a penis. I said it. You didn't say it. More importantly, I think Joe Biden is worse than Hillary Clinton. I actually oh, do. 100%. I think he's worse than Hillary Clinton. And that's saying that's saying something. Because Joe Biden is literally going to drive this train. He's driving this train straight for a Donald Trump re-election. That's Joe in the driver's seat. Choo-choo. And that's headed towards four more years of Donald Trump. I shit you not. Remember I said it. This is going to lead to Donald Trump's election if this man wins the nomination. CNN is in a tizzy today. Right. CNN is in a tizzy. Because their narrative that they want, just like they wanted the narrative in 2016, Hillary versus um, Jeb, that's the narrative they wanted originally, Hillary versus Jeb. And then they were very happy that the DNC and the Democrats rigged it for, uh, against Bernie because then they got Hillary versus Trump. It's all a narrative game, as you know. So all day they have been pushing because Biden is talking in Iowa and Trump is in Iowa. So they're basically pushing this narrative of it's Biden versus Trump already. And it's, it's, it's a subtle way of trying to get into viewers' mind that Biden is basically it. So I don't think that Biden is as inevitable as Clinton was. I don't think that they view Biden, that anybody really views Biden as that inevitable. I think if Biden were to falter tomorrow, they, they have a number of candidates that they could shift to, including Kamala Harris, including uh, Beto. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be Beto, but uh, in, including uh, Harris, including Buttigieg, I think that I think that Biden fits into one of these uh, preconceived narratives that makes sense for media outlets like CNN and the people that are on CNN because he's been around forever. They know him. They're familiar with it. Uh, and he's kind of who you would expect. He's the vice former vice president of a very popular Democratic president, the, the president who preceded this current administration. So. Uh, I think he makes sense to, to a lot of people, but I, I, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of hesitation because he is so prone to self-sabotage. No, what I was saying is the matchup and the narrative but that yes, CNN this, this would makes, like. This does make sense. To yes. CNN, this narrative, Biden versus Trump, makes sense. And he's the presumed frontrunner, so. Oh, and by the way, specifically to NBC, it really makes sense since its parent company, Comcast, a lobbyist for Comcast, held a fundraiser for Joe Biden, which they don't even disclose. But I digress. So what we're going to do here, folks, we're going to play. I, I hope all of you are, are not on an empty stomach. We're going to play this some of uh, Biden's speech today because I was watching it and I honestly have never in my life. And I'm talking, you know, I'm comparing this to Ben Carson. Uh, 999. No, that no, Herman Cain. I'm comparing this to Herman Cain and the 999 pizza plan. I'm, con I'm, I'm comparing this to Ben Carson. I'm comparing this to, you know, the worst of the worst candidates from the Republican side. I've never seen a worse campaign message and a worse strategy than what Joe Biden is selling to America. What is his campaign message? Well, let's go to the videotape. All right, folks, here we go. We're going we're gonna to play uh, here and there. We're going to cut in, cut out, give our thoughts. Here is Joe Biden in Iowa today. Uh, you have to work with him because, honestly, not to be an ageist, he's talking a little slow. The region. Uh, yet President Trump denies there's any such thing as climate change. 
And, uh, and uh, it'd be funny if it weren't so, so damaging and so serious. And what about health care? Trying to have the Justice Department. So we got to cut it right there real quick. So Joe Biden is actually talking like he's a warrior for climate change. The only issue with that, number one, uh, he wanted to do a middle ground on climate change until his advisors and the world basically told him, you can't do a middle ground, the planet is burning. So like the Hyde Amendment, he reversed on that. So he put forth a climate policy. I looked, I looked at it. I mean, it's better than a middle ground, but it's not anywhere near what we need. But he also has very, very clear connections to not only fossil fuel companies, but j just being, uh, just taking money from fossil fuel companies isn't it. Taking money from Wall Street, all of these Wall Street banks are heavily invested in natural, natural gas, fracked gas pipelines. They're heavily invested in fossil fuel uh, projects. So Joe Biden could talk all he wants and compare Trump and say Trump is terrible on climate change, which he obviously is, but Joe Biden is not gonna bring us to the promised land on climate change. And he has conflicts of interest up the wazoo financially when it comes to climate change. And just to, just to build on that a little bit, his climate plan, while it's certainly more aggressive than I think a lot of people were expecting, which sort of drove the media coverage of it when he announced it, uh, his plan leaves a big lane open for, for fracked natural gas. In fact, if you, you, there's one way of reading it, which says that basically, that's the plan going forward is to trans continue our transition onto uh, a natural gas economy. And then from there, over time, let the markets direct us into clean energy. But that's not going to work with the time frame that we have. I mean, we have a decade to radically change in, in an unprecedented way, according to the, to the UN, to UN scientists who are leading this. Uh, we have a decade to radically and in an unprecedented way transform our energy consumption to avert uh, climate disaster, which would be an increase in global temperatures um, greater than two degrees Celsius above what, um, what they were during uh, pre-industrial revolution. Uh, right now we're at one degree Celsius above. So if we go, we want to keep it within 1.5 degrees. I know people sort of glaze over at these numbers, but we want to keep it within... Uh, 1.5 degrees. That was the uh, number that we laid out in the in the Paris Climate Agreement. But like, if we're going to do that, we need radical transition. And and Biden's plan is like, we've got to make sure that new natural gas infrastructure is it meets these methane, uh, you know, the, the these new regulations for for methane uh, leakage. But new natural gas infrastructure shouldn't exist. We shouldn't be building new natural gas infrastructure. We should be winding down the natural gas infrastructure that we have now. Um, so I view it very much as a middle-of-the-road plan. I don't think it's a middle-of-the-road plan. I think it's a regressive plan because methane actually does more damage than carbon dioxide. This is a known fact. The natural gas industry could spin it as any way they want. Listen to Josh Fox on methane compared to carbon dioxide. Not that carbon dioxide is, like, good, but methane is worse. And we're fracking the hell... I mean, it's only gotten worse under Trump. But what do you think under um, what do you think if Biden becomes president, he's going to scale back the explosion in pipe pipeline construction in this country? President Obama bragged during a speech that uh, we had more uh, natural gas um, exploration and drilling under my administration than any before. Biden's the same way. 
So natural gas, uh, it, you might as well say, I am for burning the planet. That's what natural gas is. It's not natural. Well, right. And what's going to happen is if we don't meet our climate deadline, it's going to be a death sentence for maybe not people in the United States, although some people surely on, on the coasts, but in, in areas that are vulnerable in countries that are not as developed, that is a death sentence for them. And for species, thousands and thousands of species across the planet uh, puts them at risk. We are already in a, in a sixth great extinction period. Um, but, but also... This trend, you know, among Democrats singing the, the you know, to sing the gospel of, uh, of natural gas as, as a cleaner alternative. I mean, this is something that has been con a continuation of an Obama era policy. Um, a couple months ago, the, the Democratic House, with no opposition, passed a bill to uh, push, you know, er uh, energy infrastructure construction projects in Europe to export American liquid natural gas to Europe, to and it was framed as to a way to combat Russia. And every single Democrat, minus a couple no votes, um, voted for it. And when I say no votes, I don't mean nays. I mean people who just did not vote for it, uh, just abstained. And that includes Ilan Omar. But well, among the yes votes was Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Yes, which didn't get a lot of attention. It did and not. You, you did a story on that. Yes. Um, there's another thing that we cannot afford, other than climate change. Let me tell you something, folks. If you were damaged from the financial crash in 2008 and you want a president that's going to actually do something about it, we obviously know Obama didn't do much. I mean, Dodd-Frank was a Band-Aid for a gunshot wound. Well, let's, let's hear Joe Biden on, on, on Wall Street. Here we go. Say it ain't so, Joe. You know, uh, President Trump thinks that Wall Street and the super rich built this country. They didn't build a country. The middle class built this country. And unions built the middle class. That's how we got to where we are. And so, folks, folks, we got to build an economy that rewards work, not just wealth. We got to return the dignity of work. Of work, you know. Uh, the uh, and I think that look, I, I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America for three reasons. One. Uh, he is a genuine threat to uh, our, uh, our core values. And if you wondered about that, remember what happened in Charlottesville. I never thought I'd see that happen in my lifetime again. You had people come climbing out of the fields and un from under rocks, carrying torches, contorted faces, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile that was chanted in Europe and in Germany in the 30s. Same exact language. What's amazing about that, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Let's start with unions built uh, the, middle, the middle class and, and the middle class built America. Yes, the same unions that Joe Biden and his ilk have destroyed since the 1980s. Joe Biden, as I've reported, as Status Quo has reported, obviously was a big proponent of NAFTA. He is still a proponent of the TPP, which would further decimate, uh, particularly that Rust Belt region that Trump won over, uh, would Basically, we're, all, we're already looking at an automized future with a jobless economy. Joe Biden, literally, I reported this on Sunday, he has fundraisers scheduled in Silicon Valley with millionaires that were on President Obama's TPP advisory committee. He's doing fundraisers actively with TPP boosters. And this guy... In front of the camera, CNN's not going to tell you this. 
is telling you well, unions built America. Yeah, you, your policies destroy unions. And that's why Comcast likes you, because Comcast is one of the biggest union busters in America. And by the way, yes, the middle class, uh, he says the middle class built um, the country, not Wall Street. Well, it's funny because you're talking very, very soft uh, about Wall Street. This is him last night. Wall Street and significant bankers and people, they're all positive. They could, they could be positive influences in the country, but they didn't build the country. The middle class built the country. I don't know, Walker, am I being too tough? When's the last time Wall Street has been a positive influence on America? Uh, when I think of it, I'll let you know. But it's funny to hear this from Biden, who has skipped like, you know, meeting with uh, Democratic constituents to go have uh, fundraisers with lobbyists and, and, and Wall Street guys. And, and yeah, Biden has been a, a proponent of free trade agreements, uh, whether it's NAFTA or trade relations with China or the TPP. He, Hillary got a lot of flack for calling the TPP the gold standard. Joe Biden said basically the same thing, the standard by which future trade agreements will be, will be measured. I have the video. It, I mean, it exists. It's out there. So, yeah, he, Joe Biden, union man, is, is a farce. So uh, an amazing, another amazing thing about that, him pretending to be like, you know, oh, he's, he's doing what Hillary did, which is to tell like Wall Street, I'm going to tell you to cut it out. And like Wall Street's not going to get a pass for me. While at the same time, she's basically having private uh, speeches talking about having a public and private position. Joe Biden is trying to have it two ways where he looks populist. He sounds populist in speeches in Iowa, but he talks about uh, Wall Street could have a positive influence. Let me tell you what Wall Street's positive influence will be if Joe Biden becomes president. You ready? You ready? Here we go. Show for it. Even our Republican friends are now beginning to admit there's no evidence these, these, these tax cuts are being put to work in the economy. No new growth, just more debt. And that puts middle-class programs that they rely on and they've worked for at real risk. Paul Ryan was correct. When he did the tax code, what's the first thing he decided we had to go after? Social Security and Medicare. Now, we need to do something about Social Security and Medicare. That's the only way you can find room to pay for it. Now, I don't know a whole lot of people in the top one-tenth of one percent or the top one percent are relying on Social Security when they retire. I don't know a lot of them. Maybe you guys do. Do we need a pro-growth progressive tax code that treats workers as job creators as well, not just investors, that gets rid of unprotective loopholes like stepped-up basis, and it raises enough revenue to make sure that the Social Security and Medicare can stay? You know the amazing part about that, folks? The truly amazing part about that? When he's talking about Wall Street could have a, a strong influence in the economy, yeah, Wall Street's idea of a strong, a positive influence in the economy is to privatize Social Security, is to privatize Medicare, and, you know, make it what Paul Ryan's dream was. That is Wall Street's vision of um, their positive contribution to society. And, I mean, Joe Biden agrees with it. He might not be saying let's privatize it, but what he just described, progressive pro-growth, is... Means-tested cuts. 
So basically, right now, Social Security is not an entitlement program. You pay into it, and you get money back for your retirement. Uh, but what Biden is proposing is that we turn it into a welfare program, which makes it more vulnerable. So if you if you means test Social Security, which is by the way already means tested, uh, right? So like, if you if you add an additional layer of means testing where people above a certain threshold don't get anything, but they pay into it. That makes the program very vulnerable because, well, not everybody gets it. Not everybody is, you know, everybody's paying in, but not everybody gets it. It's it's no different than what a, we would consider a traditional welfare program at that point. And we all know how easily welfare is attacked in this country. And Joe Biden knows it because he was one of the guys who was in favor of it. And by the way, when Obama was president and Joe Biden was the one negotiating for Obama with Mitch McConnell, Obama never got his hands dirty and... Uh, when at the Capitol Hill, it was it was Joe Biden, Republican light with Mitch McConnell, Republican, Republican. And they uh, Obama was offering things like chain CP, the chain CPI, chain CPI, which would have made cuts uh, to Social Security. And they were talking about in their grand bargain. Remember that the 2012, 2013 grand bargain, they were going to be cuts to Social Security. You know, it wasn't going to be involved. They weren't going to be cutting the defense budget. No, 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 no. Yeah. They weren't going to be, they wouldn't, they weren't going to cut uh, subsidies to ExxonMobil or Wall Street. It was going to be Social Security and this and that. And the, the most insane thing, you know, Thomas Frank wrote a great book, What's the Matter with Kansas Anymore? And it's about people voting against their own interests. The very voters, I'm not saying all people over 50, because obviously Bernie has a lot of progressive uh, voters that are over 50. Bernie Sanders, famous millennial. Right. But the very voters that support Bernie's, uh, Joe Biden, generally the ones, uh, you know, older, above 50, definitely above 65, would be disproportionately harmed by the things that he has proposed, which, by the way, proposing cuts to Social Security and Medicare, just uh, let me call it what it is. It's giving Wall Street the, the, the most essential financial product. They call it financial instruments and products. That is what Wall Street has wanted basically since the Gordon Gecko breed is good uh, birth of the 1980s. They want to get rid of it and they want to make it a privatized so they could gamble like they did with the housing, uh, the housing um, mortgages so they could gamble with your Social Security. And Joe Biden has said things in the past it's a slippery slope. If you start cutting even a little bit, they're going to go for the whole thing. Well, it's funny because this has been a consistent position of Biden's. Uh, he has never been a, a big fan of Social Security and Medicare. In fact, in the 90s, when the Republicans were pushing the balanced budget amendment, the sort of centerpiece of, the, of Newt Gingrich's contract with America, um, which would have mandated that you know, federal spending not exceed what, what we take in in taxes, um, Biden supported that. And while he was defending it on the, on the floor of the Senate, he said, you know, back, I proposed a, a federal spending freeze, and I meant Social Security as well. I meant uh, Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans benefits, you know, and I not only tried it once, I tried it twice, I tried it a third time, and I tried it a fourth time. This is a guy who has consistently uh, favored cutting or, or, or restricting federal spending um, particularly that of the, of the safety net. But also, when... I wouldn't call him Republican light. I would call him... A Republican. 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 He's basically Bob Dole. Maybe a little... No, yeah. He's, Bob Dole. He's, yeah, kind of. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it's also really obscene when you see him trying to straddle the line. Yes, veterans benefits too. Oh yeah, absolutely. When you see him trying to straddle the line uh, where the middle class and unions built this country, not Wall Street, but also say, well, Wall Street could have a positive influence. Very much sounds like Hillary Clinton in that private Goldman Sachs speech saying, oh, your role in the financial crisis, it was politicized. It was misunderstood. Well, this is a man who voted in the 90s to deregulate derivatives. I don't want to get too in the weeds for you, but deregulating derivatives was the opening of the floodgates to the 2008 financial crash. So was repealing Glass-Steagall, which he was just hunky-dory with. Joe Biden voted for that. He also voted to deregulate uh, the media industry, which is why we have the corporate sensationalist crap we have. But thank God, it's also why we have an opening here at Status Quo. This is a man who is publicly in his speeches talking about, oh, you know, Wall Street could be a positive, a positive influence. But let's see what Joe Biden has to say about the, uh, those billionaires, the, those billionaires. Uh, he thinks those billionaires are just misunderstood. We have not seen this huge concentration of wealth. And the folks at the top aren't bad guys. I get in trouble in my party when I say wealthy Americans are just as patriotic as poor folks. I found no distinction. I really haven't. But this gap is yawning. It's gaping. And it's having the effect of pulling us apart. You see the politics of it. And the country's not going to stand for it forever. So we have to deal with the tax code. It's wildly skewed toward taking care of those at the very top. So in uh, 40 years in public life, Joe Biden, he hasn't seen any evidence that uh, the wealthy people might be corrupt and that wealth, wealthy people maybe have bought off people like himself. Uh, he hasn't seen any difference. And by the way, I know wealthy people that are super patriotic. I know a few wealthy... Uh, I always talk about Ben and Jerry, who make great ice cream, and I'm very depressed because I'm lactose intolerant now, and I can't eat Ben and Jerry's without dying. So Joe Biden, oh, the billionaires, it's not their fault. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me just ask you a question, because I'm a very visual person. You see this chart? This is from 1980. That red line is all the wealth going upward, and that blue line is all the wealth going down, uh, the bottom 50% wealth going down. Well, what, what started in 1980? Well, excuse me, what started in the 1970s? A lot of people don't know this. They started peeling back the laws on money and politics. In the 1950s and 60s, you actually had pretty rigid regulation on how much individuals could donate, on how much corporations can donate. Uh, you did not have uh, politicians that were basically bought off. I mean, you had politicians that got money from certain individuals, but you didn't have, there was stricter regulation on the, the first PAC. It wasn't a super PAC. The first PAC, Political Action Committee, if you watch Get Me Roger Stone, that was Roger Stone in the 1970s. So in the 1970s, PAC started, and then you have the deregulation of Wall Street, and then you have corporate money flooding, and then you have the um, explosion of lobbying in K Street. Um, this all started in the 1980s. So this when, when, when Joe Biden says, oh, it's not, you know, these millionaires are just as patriotic as the wealthy people. Well, it's, it's the millionaires who are buying off the politicians. So I'm not blanketing all millionaires as toxic shitbags, excuse my French, but I am saying it's really, really the wrong message in 2019 and 2020 when you have had an explosion in an anti-establishment fervor that has not gone away since 2016.
to say, oh, it's not the billionaire's fault. Right. It, it's, is- it's just the tax system that, that's the problem. It's, this is what Democrats always talk about, fixing the tax code. Fixing the tax code is not going um, to fix the structural disease. The structural disease is we have fetishized business in this country where business, that's why I call it the United Corporations of America. Business runs our government. They run the politicians. They own the politicians like Joe Biden. I don't know if it was you or somebody else found a clip of him basically saying, yeah, if somebody gives me $250,000, they didn't buy me. But sure, if they want to come somebody, in my office. Another one somebody else found. But just to clarify, so, so what happened in the 70s was you had, you had Watergate. And after Watergate, there was a push to actually regulate the amount of money in politics. So it wasn't necessarily that Congress was repealing any regulation on, on speech. What happened was that you had a Supreme Court decision come down uh, that, was, that said you can't regulate how much money people spend on on political messages. You can regulate how much they, they donate to campaigns. You can regulate how much, you know, they give to a particular candidate or party, but you can't regulate how much they spend just on their message. And that really, op- that, that decision was Buckley versus Vallejo. It came down in 1976. Muhammad said, kids done his research. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and so after that, that, that really did open the floodgates um, after, and, and you start to see uh, corporate speech doctrine emerging. Um, you have the, the Bilotti case come down, uh, which sort of precursor to Citizens United, which basically said that corporations are for the sake of, of spending money on politics. They're the same thing as people. You can't regulate how much a corporation can spend on whatever. Anyway, that's getting into the weeds. The point is that, yes, politicians like Joe Biden are very transactional, and they view things very transactionally. So you have, uh, at the same table, you'll have workers, and you'll have management, and then everybody gets a say. But the workers represent a much larger constituency than management. They're, but the management can spend more money than the workers can. They can they, they're the ones who are bankrolling your campaigns. And actually, in, in the 70s, when, when Biden was was testifying for this campaign finance regulation that they passed. Um, I think it was the Bipartisan Campaign Finance Reform Act, really uh, original. Um, He said, when I was running, you know, I went to all the rich guys and they said, come back to me when you're 40, son. So I had to go out and I had to raise money from, from the people. And clearly that model for Biden has changed now. But he sees this as uh, sort of uh, a surmountable challenge. This is something that talented politicians can overcome. And, you know, that's just the way things are. And he doesn't really have a vision for change. And what's frustrating about that, as you said, there is this grassroots fervor right now, this momentum. For the first time, arguably since the progressive era, uh, that, that is pushing for policies like Medicare for All or a Green New Deal um, or a $15 minimum wage or, or more. Um, and the idea that you wouldn't harness that and, and push for these, these, these goals, now when you have the opportunity to do it, there's really no excuse. Uh, the only explanation that makes sense is that you oppose those policies. And I think Joe Biden really does oppose those policies. Well, I think he opposes those policies, but I also think it's a, a fault in Joe Biden's thinking, but also Nancy Pelosi's thinking and Chuck Schumer's thinking, because they still think along the lines of whoever is the most Whoever's got the most cash will generally win an election. 
And I think Hillary Clinton proves that proved that is not true. Well, they also remember the 1980s, right? Like when when Reagan won, uh, he he didn't just win; he crushed. He won, I think, every state but but one in 1980, and that was it was a it was a landslide. And Democrats, I think, are still of a certain generation are still haunted by that. Like if we push too far left, Ryan Grimm said this best. He's like, if we if they push too far left, the ghost of Reagan is going to come and haunt their house. Like that right. that thinking still exists. But the problem is there really isn't a lot of evidence that that is still what what is happening. I mean, right. Hillary Clinton ran a campaign very much uh, predicated on that idea that we we can have some things, but we got to be we got to be careful with what we say, with what we push for. You know, we got to compromise from the middle. Uh, and 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 she lost a non-existent middle, by the way. A non-existent because middle. there is no moderate Democrat anymore. A moderate Democrat is a Republican, That's right? What, because the what? GOP has continued to pull to the right, and the Democrats have consistently tried to keep to the center. But as the GOP moves to the right, the center changes, and I don't understand why people don't don't get this. In in poli- like people in D.C., I don't know why they don't get it. And to an extent, I, I think many do. I think they just their careers are kind of dependent on this right. model and they'd rather have a Republican in power than a progressive because that's their livelihood. Right. I want to play a little bit more of uh, Joe Biden's speech in Iowa because it gets worse. Work, not just wealth. We've got to return the dignity of work. Of work. You know, uh, the, uh, and I think that, look, I, I believe that the president is literally an existential threat to America for three reasons. One, uh, he is a genuine threat to uh, our, uh, our core values. And if you wondered about that, remember what happened in Charlottesville. I never thought I'd see that happen in my lifetime again. You had people come climbing out of the fields and un- from under rocks, carrying torches, contorted faces, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile that was chanted in Europe and in Germany in the 30s. Same exact language, carrying carrying Nazi flags, accompanied by white supremacists, accompanied by the Ku Klux Klan, and confronted by decent people who said, not in my city. And what happened? When he was asked to comment on it, he said, quote, there were very fine people in both groups. So what you have here, and I want to first, as a disclaimer, make very, very clear that obviously I agree with Joe Biden on this. I, you know, any objective person would agree that what Trump did is absolutely disgusting, and uh, you know, you can't equip you can't equate Nazis and neo Nazis with like <laughs> protesters of that. So let's put that out of the equation. Obviously, it's not polit- it doesn't take political courage to condemn what Trump is saying. But if you think with, with if you actually ha- contain nuance in your brain, thank you for the super chat five bucks from Trico. Trico Metrist earned that money. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Joe Biden is talking about the scourge of racism and bigotry when Joe Biden has actually pushed forward some of the most racist and bigoted policy in American history. Walker uh, reminded me to to get this clip. Uh, This is Joe Biden on the Senate floor. It might not be him carrying tiki torches uh, and saying Jews won't replace us, but it's certainly bigoted. Do you remember this? It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents. It doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. 
It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become a, a social uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. There's a consensus on that. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized, they literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. I give you the floor. Yeah, so that was his, that was his uh, crime bill pitch. That was his, his pitch for the crime bill, for tough on crime. Um, and I, I mean, there's really, what, what can you say to that? It, uh, to me, that's worse than what Hillary Clinton said. It, I mean, it's both, it is. It, there's two peas in a pod, but it's, it's considerably worse. I, I think so. I mean, but I mean, at that point, you're, it's just kind of uh, picking which, you know, foot you want to shoot. But I, I mean, it, to me, that's, it's, I honestly don't know what to say about it. It's just, it's, it's vile. It was wrong at the time. It's really wrong now. He's not the only Democrat to have supported it. Um, we and we tend to forget that you know this was a this was a bipartisan crime bill. It was pushed by uh, by people in both parties. It was also pushed uh, by um, you know there was a lot of racist stuff going on, but it was also pushed by certain black leaders. Uh, and we you know forget Dead. that. Biden is running a campaign not on big ideas. He's running a campaign on values. Trump is against our values. Trump is, you know, literally he said in this speech, that's why I put it in the headline, let's just make America America again. Well, part of the big reason Trump won election is because he is different and he does have different values and he does in a fake populist way, but he does very much upset the apple card with his tweets and his bombast and his crazy behavior. So people aren't yearning for the good old days where corruption existed, because basically what Biden represents is make, Amer make corruption normal again, meaning when, it, when it's in the back room and it's not so tr trans as transparent. When we could all just get behind these politicians, when we got, all got behind our leaders while they were cutting deals and, you know, Democrats and Republicans put on a good show for the public. But then when they're in closed doors, they, you know, they, they get together and they come to an agreement about which Middle Eastern country they want to bomb and which special interests they want to protect. 
and which you know countries they want to they want to trade with and, and whatnot. That that's those are the days that Biden is is hearkening back to, and I think that a lot of he knows his voters. A lot of them do miss this mythical time, but they don't realize that younger folks didn't come up with you know they didn't have the job market that that we had back then. They didn't they don't they don't have that today. But the we, we have high healthcare costs. We have a gig economy. We have paycheck to paycheck and uh, people not retiring and, and positions not opening up. And But the problem is, and why I call Joe Biden, I'm not even being funny. I'm, I'm literally calling him Hillary Clinton with a penis. When you don't run a campaign on specific ideas, yeah, Hillary Clinton had some policy proposals, but I'm talking core ideas. With Bernie Sanders, you know what it is. Medicare for all, free public college, uh, aggressive action, Green New Deal. Uh, you, you don't have to guess what it is. When you don't have a campaign based on core, inspiring, game-changing proposals, if your whole campaign is on ideas like stronger together, right? We're stronger together or uh, we're against divided, you know, Trump and dividing America. You're not going to win because that's not what's on people's mind. The main thing, the first thing on people's mind, I don't, and I'm saying this as a white man. Obviously, black people have major concerns with Trump and they should. Same thing with brown people, same thing with indigenous people. So I recognize my privilege. But the core voting bloc that is going to decide this election, their main issue is working paycheck to paycheck. Their main issue is the fact that they, even if they have Obamacare, can't even afford it because of the, deduct <laughs> the deductibles, the co-insurance, the high co-pays, you name it. The core problem to people is not the division. And basically, every candidate, since I've been paying attention to politics, that don't really have much meat under the bone, their whole campaign is on these vague principles of Obama was going to, we're going to have a post-partisan America, and we're going to heal the, heal the ocean and, you know, part the seas and all this. Well, what was Barack Obama's key policy proposal? He didn't have one. His key proposal, his key proposal wasn't a proposal. It was the fact that he was against the Iraq war. And that was a political winner at the time. He didn't have anything that was, he inspired based on a lot of hot air. Joe Biden doesn't have that charm. He doesn't have, the, he does not have Obama's charisma. That's true. And, Joe and Biden could barely talk without looking like he's going to fall asleep. I'm not trying to be an ageist, but he does look kind of like he's lost his step. Uh, this is the truth. And if your whole campaign is going to be run on Trump is against our values, make America America again. Uh, you know, Trump is embarrassing us, embarrassing, embarrassing us against uh, around the world. Well, the voters that are going to decide this election are the same ones that decided 2016. They're they're not voting for you if you don't have a, a sharp contrast. Look, I think Biden's campaign is predicated sort of on this on I would say chauvinism in, in a way, like this kind of vibrato. He's he's kind of like grand grandpa Han Solo in a way, <laughs> you know, like the first Han Solo when he's all sexist and awful, like, you know, um, where he, he kind of has this swagger about him. Like, you know, I don't really get all of these young people and their complaints. I don't have any empathy for it. You know, we're just, we're better than this. You know, trust me, you know, Trump's a punk. He's, he thinks he's a tough guy. He doesn't know what it is to be tough. Well, frankly, it, that should not be how our elections are. It shouldn't be between two guys who want to have a you know cock measuring contest. It should be between uh, different. That just gave me a word. <laughs> I there I didn't have any other way of 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, sorry. Um, although Hillary Clinton with a with a penis is, is also that's true. A pretty unpleasant. That's true. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what it would come down to. A race between Joe Biden and Donald Trump is is a pissing match. Right. It's and that's that. You know, you talk about we are better than this. We are better than that. We can have a, a political discourse that is focused on ideas. And frankly, I don't think you beat Donald Trump by going Donald Trump light. I could be wrong. Biden could win. But I, I, I know for a fact that I'm not wrong when I say that if Biden wins, he does not have the vision to lead this country in a meaningful way forward in 2020 at a time when we are in such dire need of that vision and leadership. Um, I think I think the key thing here is really what Joe Biden is saying is let's go back to how it was before January 20th, 2017. Let's go back to that day and it will be the exact same way without the tweeting and, and the chaos and the reality show. Well, the problem with that is majority of people were not happy with the state of the country, not only because Trump was about to become president, but the majority of people if you look at the polls, part of it was America is on the wrong track, right right track, on the wrong track. So even though the, the, the CNBC and the CNN and the New York Times narrative is that the economy was on an upswing and it's the Obama-Biden economy and this and that, yes, it was on an upswing as far as artificial numbers. The unemployment rate was going down because a lot of people were dropping out of the workforce. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of that unemployment... We're taking up temporary work. Right part-time jobs, freelance, jobs without health care. So most people, if the message is make America normal again, because he said that too, well, really what you're saying is let's just make America neoliberal again, and I promise you I won't tweet weird things. And that's not a political winner. I want to I end uh, with a little bit more because it gets worse. It does get worse. So bear with me, folks. He found time to go after Bette Midler, for God's sake in the middle of the D-Day ceremonies, for real, not a joke. And, uh, and instead of repairing the relationships with our allies, he's continued to damage them. You know, think about this. No president of the United States has ever, 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 since the end of World War II, we built that Atlantic Alliance and NATO, ever threatened to leave NATO. Never gone after our allies, embracing dictators and thugs from Putin to... Kim Jong-un, calling them my friends, sending love while he's sticking his, poking his finger in the eye of our allies. What's going on here? This is really dangerous stuff. And it's not easy. He's a threat, in my view, a threat to our core values. And folks, the fact of the matter is that four years of Donald Trump will be viewed as an aberration in American history. Eight years eight years will fundamentally change who we are as a nation and how we're viewed around the world. We're not only the most powerful nation in the world, we've led America, we've led the world not by the example of our power alone, but by the power of our example. That's why the rest of the world has followed us. We're unique in all of history because of the nature of who we are and the system we created to engage everyone. And it's being ripped. Look, I don't think it's naive, I don't think it's old-fashioned uh, way of doing things that uh, says the system has to be restored. You know, to, uh, I think it's time to, uh, 
know, he says, let's make America great again. Let's make America America again. So that's what I was waiting for. You want to make America America again. So there's so many things, so many things just astronomically wrong with, with what he said. First of all, it's a terrible, terrible political strategy. He is going to lose if that is his campaign. Uh, first of all, when he talks about our values around the world and how we are an example that people followed, I don't know if I'm hearing George W. Bush or Joe Biden, because that is not the actual truth of American history. Uh, America is not has not been revered around the world. America has been feared around the world. And we have done more. And some people call me, you know, a Putin puppet and these things, but I just keep it real. We have done more to trample other countries, democratically elected leaders over the last 50 years uh, than the very tyrants we were fleeing uh, Great Britain from uh, did or or it's equal. So Joe Biden has this mystical image of America being a leader around the world when it just doesn't it's not met with the facts. Uh, he also talks about values. And you made a good point. I'll let you make it. Yeah, so it's it's interesting to hear Biden talk about checks on presidential power when the Obama administration oversaw the greatest expansion of executive power maybe ever. I mean, Obama killed an American citizen without due process of law overseas, just droned him. And the argument was that, you know, this guy had forfeited his right uh, to to protection under the Constitution, and so it was fine. But it wasn't fine. I mean, if you want to talk about about things that, that happen, like the, Donald Trump has escalated Obama's drone war. Um, and Obama expanded on, you know, Bush's war. Bush's Obama, Obama yeah. also had a kill list. Right. And, and these are things that, that slowly, over time, chip away at the foundations of American democracy. It also and, breeds war terrorism, which isn't discussed. You know, and if he wants to talk about, you know, coddling dictators, then what about Obama's relationship with the Saudis or the UAE? I mean, what about Obama's relationship with uh, Israel? I mean, these are these are countries that are currently oppressing people that we just. Wait, wait, wait. I hope Larry Chardon isn't watching. He's a big Zionist. My father. He doesn't like anything negative about uh, Israel. Go on. Well, <laughs> Israel is an apartheid <laughs> state. <laughs> um, but. You know, we have cultivated relationships with... It, our problem isn't with authoritarianism. Our problem is with authoritarianism that doesn't play ball with us. You know, our, that, that's the... Our problem is with authoritarianism that doesn't bend to our business interests. Well, right. If there's an opening, like, we, we love Bolsonaro. And we're going to continue to love Bolsonaro, whether it's a Biden administration or a Trump administration. We will continue to like him. Which, by the way, uh, The Intercept just broke the story that essentially they got all these emails and leaked documents that that was a straight-up coup in Brazil. They put the old president, Lula, Lula in, in prison. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to, like, talk out of turn because I don't know this story as well as other people. But it was trumped-up bullshit that they uh, put the more populist, progressive president in prison, and that paved the way for Bolsonaro. We're not saying a word about that. Neither nope. is the Democratic Party. Nope. That's because as long, if it's good for, there's there's been a view that if it's good for American corporations, it's good for America. And that 
view has to change. Because we also don't, sorry to cut you off, but something you've been reporting on more than most, he's not saying anything about what we're doing in Yemen right now. No, he's not. And Obama was the, you know, the Obama administration oversaw that, the, the alliance with the Saudi-led coalition. We started, we started aiding them under Obama. And now that now it's devolved into the world's worst humanitarian crisis, ground zero for the for history's worst cholera outbreak. Uh, I think eighty five thousand children have died, and that's a low estimate. And then you have you have uh, sixty five thousand plus um, people died in the combat, and then there's the starvation from the blockade. We're just ban- we're bankrolling. We recently now with the Trump administration, we have okayed. Uh, aren't weapons manufacturer in Saudi Arabia. The, the bombs that will be used, the American bombs that are used to, to dismember and destroy Yemeni lives will be built now in Saudi Arabia. Um, and Raytheon loves it. And But that's, I mean, that's who we've been. So Biden can say, you know, and it, it does appeal to this sense of nostalgia, especially for older voters. You know, this isn't us. and We're better than this. But really, we're not better than that. And we should be. We should be better than that. But I don't have the confidence that Joe Biden will make us better than that. In fact, I think that he has a record that indicates that he is not better than that. That he will consist, that he will be, I, I will say, Biden has criticized Saudi Arabia. He was one of the more vocal uh, people in the Obama administration criticizing Saudi Arabia. So credit where due. But I still don't have the confidence that he's going to stand up to interests like Raytheon or um or, or, or Boeing or any of these companies that are, that are profiteering off of these wars and, and fundamentally change how American foreign policy is conducted. No, he's not, because most people don't realize this. And uh, Mike Gravel pointed this out in uh, our interview, uh, the former Alaska senator who's running for president. He's obviously not running. He's, he's already said he's not running to win. He's 89 years old. But, to, you know, move the um, move the Overton window further left. The reason that... Uh, I think uh, uh, we are covering Joe Biden critically is not for clicks. Uh, if I wanted clicks, I would do Trump 24-7 like everybody else. The reason I'm doing it is I desperately don't want Donald Trump to be president for another four years. Just because we don't cover Trump 24-7 doesn't mean we don't see the danger of Trump. But the real danger to me is, I mean, okay, if you have Trump for another four years, that's awful. And Trump without having to win a re-election is like an animal unleashed. Uh, But Biden kind of just brings us back to basically the good old days of the Democratic Leadership Council and neoliberalism masked as, you know, we're fighting for the little guy. And that's something we can't afford either. We can't afford Trump, but we also can't afford this either. Um, And I think that... Not that they're on the same level, just to clarify. No, it, It is different, but it's... If you put a gun to my head, if you put a gun to my head, I cannot, with good conscience, do anything to give Trump another four years. In, in 2016, when I was at the Young Turks, I said, it, you know, if I have the choice, uh, I'd rather four years of Donald Trump than eight years of Hillary Clinton. And I meant it. I would have rathered four years of Donald Trump than eight years of Hillary Clinton. Cause well, I, I don't think you would have gotten Because I, <laughs> I thought Trump would actually create a populist, progressive, activist rebirth. And he has. To, to a large extent, he has. that is true. Uh, but I don't, want, I don't want to get into what if down the road. Uh, let's just say I personally, I wouldn't tell my, vo- my viewers what to do. 
I personally, if, if it's not Bernie or Tulsi or Warren, I will have to make some tough decisions personally because I can't stomach another four years of Trump. There's too much at stake. You are right about the Supreme Court and other things. With that said, Joe Biden, and I keep saying it because I, I, I think the data is very clear. CNN doesn't talk about it. The New York Times doesn't talk about it. I read, all the, I read every exit poll uh, in those Midwest states. The top issue in 2016 in Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania uh, was trade and immigration. Trade, i.e. NAFTA, TPP, and all these other toxic deals. That is not going to change in 2020. The, the things that those people in the, blue, in the Rust Belt cared about is not magically, they're not going to care about it anymore. When you have a pro-NAFTA, a pro-TPP, a, 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 a servant of Wall Street, that's not going to beat Donald Trump because Donald Trump is one of the best bullshit artists in American or world history, and he's still going to be able to spin himself as a populist. The only way you could knock him down as the fake populist he is, is to have a real populist. And that's Bernie Sanders. I'm not saying that because I personally support him. I'm saying it because he's the only one on a debate stage that could legitimately go after Donald Trump. And Donald Trump's not going to be able to attack him as a servant of Wall Street you know, or, think, or a servant of anybody. I think Warren could have built that case, but I do, I do worry that the, that the DNA test was such an absolute catastrophe. And I know that a lot of people don't like hearing that, but it was such a disaster because it indicated exactly how she would go about, you know, beating, beating Trump. But ultimately, that, that's just going to be, she's gonna, she'd get hit over the head with that, I think, sort of steamrolled. Right. I do think Sanders is, in my opinion, Sanders is the best chance of beating Trump and is the most committed to the, you, you get the, the, the balance of beating Trump and committed to the ideology. Um, right. And, and, you know, Warren, I think you get committed to the ideology a little shakier against, against Donald Trump. Biden is not committed to any ideology. And right now he's doing very well. But I think that that is going to. Biden in a, Biden in a span of three weeks. Flip-flopped on climate change. He was going to do a mealy-mouth, uh, middle-of-the-road climate change thing. Then the whole country and the whole world and the media, frankly, uh, went, at, went after him, saying this is grossly inadequate for the, for the situation we're in. And then he put forward a, 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 I don't think it's what we need, but a better climate change proposal. He flip-flopped. He was against the Hyde Amendment for 30 years. Within 48 hours, he flip-flopped on that. He's a political weather vane as the weather goes, and that sometimes is equally as dangerous as somebody like Donald Trump, because Donald Trump also has no ideology. Uh, I think you put a gun to my head, Trump is worse, but I don't want to put a gun to my head, and I want what's best for everybody living paycheck to paycheck, and I don't think that's Joe Biden. And I got to tell you something, folks, if this is the message, if this is Joe Biden's message for the 20. 20 campaign, and this is what he's going for. Hold on. Things that uh, says the system has to be restored. You know, to, uh, I think it's time to, uh, you know, he says, let's make America great again. Let's make America America again. If that's what he's going to go with, that's a political loser and a disaster. And uh, you get the politicians you deserve, and you get the government you deserve. So if that's who CNN and the New York Times want to push forward, if that's who the DNC wants to push forward, I'm sure they're not stupid enough to put it in writing this time. But, I mean, there's always mechanisms going on behind, the, behind closed doors to prop up one candidate and knock down. I think that you're looking, uh, I think Trump would have a pretty, 
pretty easy re-election. Uh, I also think, honestly, you look at these polls, if you read the polls very closely, uh, overwhelming majorities in these polls are not familiar with Joe Biden's Senate record. Uh, other high margins in the polls say uh, they're open, they're not, they're not set in their candidate. I'm telling you, the more of his record that comes out, the more that it's not just, oh, he was Barack Obama's vice president, but the more his record comes out, the more clips that are unearthed by people like Walker, you can't beat Donald Trump with Bob Dole. You just can't. Any parting thoughts before we go? I think that, look, I'm not, I'm not going to say definitively that, that Biden will lose because I don't want to make, I will. I don't want to get into the, that's, that's your thing. That's, you know, but I will say that Biden represents exactly the same kind of politician that, he, uh, that Trump ran against last time. Um, and that's dangerous. That's a gamble because I don't, I don't see any evidence that America will, uh, that the country is more willing to go with that this time than last. I mean, granted, it was a few, you know, thousand voters that made the difference in these states, but I, I don't know. It's it's anybody's game. I, I hope that I hope that Democrats run a better candidate than they did last time. Uh, if they don't, you know, it's a strap in because it's going to be interesting.